Well, so friends, today we are going to hear from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If you are well attuned to numbers then, and pop culture, an alarm bell should be going off right now, because that range is, of course, inclusive of John 3, 16, that of the signs dangled from the end zone every Sunday or Monday night. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life, is how that one goes. Somebody shortened it to just say John 3.16. That was a colorful character, by the way. He just drove from game to game holding up that sign. It became a thing, as you no doubt are aware. It is a temptation for us always to hear scripture through the lens of the world in which we engage it. And so we hear John 3.16 and figure it fits on a sign, and so it must be that simple. We hear 3.16 and all that surrounds it as a series of kind of one-off statements of Jesus' theology directed at us, like that sign on TV. We hear about believing or perishing, but we don't often hold up signs of John 3.17. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. These are not one-offs. These phrases that we know are not posters or t-shirts or God help us coffee mugs. They are part of a conversation between two people, one night. So come, meet Nicodemus and listen as he and Jesus talk. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. I have, at various points in my life, failed to sleep. Maybe you have too. In moments of transition or change, those moments where you're trying to kind of game out all of the moving pieces of your life on the empty ceiling above you, Or if you're really lucky, you have a ceiling fan over your bed, you can really just kind of work things out. Just grind gears, just like the ceiling fan is. Folks come and tell me that they have these experiences while they are wrestling with leaving or changing or accepting a job, some milestone or change in a relationship. Moving is always a big one. Anyone ever lose some sleep around a move? Any other good transitions ever caused you to lose sleep? Lack of sleep in confusing times, it really kind of compounds things, right? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once you're thinking about, oh, I can't sleep, guess what you're going to do? Think about the fact that you can't sleep. Then you're already wound up about something and you stay awake until your body is in this intense, almost fight-or-flight point. And your normal mode and way of thinking gets disrupted and disturbed And it won't ever end until you come to some new understanding or peace with whatever that change may come to be. Of course, spiritual awakening or change might keep you up too. I do think that Nicodemus could join us in the anxious sleepers club. The scripture isn't precise about what time of night it is, but the fact that it bothers to mention it makes me think that Nicodemus is not like, you know, stopping by a little after supper. Nicodemus is up late for some reason. And his conversation is going to give us a clue as to why. Now, as a preacher, I am not sure which I would prefer as my method for receiving feedback on my sermons. On the way out the door on Sunday morning, the nice handshake, we get about two seconds Or when you arrive at my front door of my house at night a day later. On the one hand, you're going to wake the baby and the dogs, which, you know, no jury in the world nor the Bible would indict me. On the other, well, something must have really landed for you to keep you up and to drive you to the door. So I'll take that. It sure did work for Nicodemus. I'm pretty sure that Nicodemus is here to invite us to examine yet another reason to lose sleep and perhaps the most difficult spiritual practice that there might be, changing our minds. Nicodemus, a Pharisee and leader of the Jews, so we know that he's in that movement of Judaism that is closely in conversation with Jesus throughout his ministry. Some people will say that Jesus actually was a Pharisee by kind of practice. Also going to be the primary group with which Jesus has conflict. And certainly the leaders of the Jews would be those folks that have the closest connection to temple worship. And therefore also to occupy Jerusalem and the Roman Empire. To come and talk to this person who has kind of wandered in from the wilderness of Nazareth. Something is changing. And you hear it. 
We know you couldn't do these things unless you were from God, but you can't really be from God, right, is the question behind the statement. Changing our minds is hard. It is hard in a world in which we have almost infinite permutations of ideologies and theologies, but we have built up walls of identity around them that no one can climb. We have a hard time changing when we live in a world where the worst thing that a politician can be seen to do is to change their mind. particularly when we can create our own ways of reading the Bible, the law, history that define us, our in-group, even our own way of reading the facts, what happened where and when kind of stuff. Through our own lenses, our own news channels, our own church movements, changing your mind is actually, I think, one of the most radical things that you can do in this world. I was reading a little bit, not... Surprisingly, given how much this kind of polarization and isolation from one another has sprung up, there's been all sorts of studying around this, about how can you change people's minds? How does that work? Psychologists, neurologists, all sorts of folks have weighed in. read a little bit of something not too long ago. Most of us have run our lives like the debate club, right? We're going to cite off a series of facts And my facts clearly being better facts, you will go, well, Jeff has better facts. I I relent, therefore I will change my mind, voila. Right? Doesn't work that way. Turns out that when we encounter facts just argued at us that run contrary to our own beliefs, our own value systems, all those sorts of things... It just causes our brains to just dig in harder. It's almost like an autoimmune response. Like the whole way of thinking wants to isolate that and push it aside. And so the old back and forth, we're just going to have a debate, doesn't actually seem to work very well for changing people's minds. What folks have found is that the trick is to ask questions. To ask, essentially, you know, some version of, oh, what do you think about that? Or what do you think about the nuances around here? Because if you can start to ask questions that might invite people to seek the motivation to change within themselves, well, then you can get somewhere, rather than just a tit-for-tat kind of back and forth of the facts. I think I hear that in Jesus and Nicodemus. Hear all of the questions that Jesus asks today. I think the most radical thing, though, the thing that many of us who would say, oh, we're pretty thoughtful about our lives, is to recognize that we are never done changing. Listen to Jesus. To be born again, to be born of water and spirit, to follow the spirit where it blows. Jesus is defining a life of the spirit which is always in transit and in transformation. All of his images that he uses with Nicodemus are about transformation. 
I would, of course, want to, you know, argue with Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, can anybody be born again once they've grown old? I said, anybody who's retired, you've been born again. Well done. Anybody who's had a child, born again. Anybody who's changed jobs or careers, actually, I would say, born again. We are constantly, in fact, being born again. I think the challenge is a little bit more of do we accept that and allow it into our lives as a force for continual change and transformation and growth? Can we be proud of it? Can we bring that wholly into ourselves? But here's where we go back to our story. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, notice. Maybe, hopefully, because he is changing, and so it's just kept him up late, but also because I think he's not entirely sure he wants to be seen to have changed. He's coming to Jesus when nobody might notice that he's gone to this rabble-rouser's house. For indeed, he will be pretty quiet in his conversion for the rest of Jesus' story. Nicodemus shows up two more times. When religious authorities, leaders of the Jews, that we say that uh, Nicodemus is, you know, colleagues with, want to send officers to arrest Jesus, Nicodemus kind of gently offers, hey, there ought to be some sort of trial or testimony before we do that. After Jesus is killed, Nicodemus will quietly donate oils and spices to anoint the body. But he never steps out of the night really. He never goes public with what's changing for him. The question I think Nicodemus's behavior asks us as followers of Jesus continues to be, are we willing to live lives of faith that are unfinished and developing and growing and changing? And are we willing to do it in public? To trust that believing in the one who has come to love and save the world will always challenge our certainty. I don't know about you, but Jesus always seems to love just a little bit farther than I'm ready to. That to follow in this way will make us grow and change. At our all-church conversation a few weeks ago, one of the themes that arose for us was public witness, or some folks said, making our Christianity visible. I like that. At one level, I feel like, yes, our side of the Christian family tree uh, needs to get a megaphone. We need to step up to the microphone a little bit more. Those of us who take the Bible seriously, but not always literally. Those of us who are convicted that Jesus came to reconcile and connect all people with the divine living in and through us, and that LGBTQ plus folks are indeed included in that. Those that say that Jesus had something to say about creating a just, a whole, and healthy world that all can access and enjoy here, not in some imagined dream world later, we need to be more public, more out in the world. At the same time, I wonder if one of the first steps we need to take is to show people a Christianity that accepts and invites changing our minds, developing our faith, growing in faith, Because for many, their experience of church is one in which change and the changing of one's mind is considered dangerous and deviant. 
But all I can hear in everything that Jesus says to Nicodemus today is that the Spirit is never done transforming us. Indeed, that is a principle that our ancestors in the United Church of Christ held as vital, that by living and worshiping and working and learning and praying together, the gathered congregation would continuously be renewed by the Spirit, be drawn closer to Christ's heart. That might just be our work here, to be a gathered people of God where we are all learning and growing and discovering, finding the ways in which the Spirit is blowing us to some new destination. For you, where do you feel God is moving you towards rebirth? A new stream of the Spirit. Even more, what might be different if you showed people, those you love, those you work with, live with, what if you showed them that change and that transformation, made that public? brought that into the light of day. What might change then? Thanks be to God for the chance to bear witness to where the Spirit is blowing and maybe where it is moving us and to be reborn each day closer to Christ and God's dream of our world. Let us do so boldly so all the world may see it. Amen.